Hey, it's Gory Corey. I'm currently working on a new horror anthology called Welcome Week with Screenager Productions, the minds behind Satan's Servant. We're making a film about the horrors of college, and we're bringing together college-age film students from all over the world to work on it. We're currently fundraising on Indiegogo and would really appreciate your support. Whether it's sharing or donating, anything helps. Thank you so much, and if you'd like to learn more, you can find us on Indiegogo at Welcome Week, or you can visit my blog, GoryCory.com. Thanks. Welcome to Filmstrip. These podcasts are spoiler-filled as we discuss the plots, characters, and themes of the films in review. All content used or discussed in these podcast episodes is the property of the respective owners and used under the Fair Use Act, Section 504C2, Title 17. Welcome to Filmstrip. I'm Jay. And I'm Kurt. Where the fuck have you been lately? Uh-huh. <laughs> We're here to talk about Wanted, starring James McAvoy, Morgan Freeman, Angelina Jolie, Common, David O'Hara, Chris Pratt, Terrence Stamp, and Thomas Kreshman. Based loosely, and I do mean loosely, on the comic book miniseries by Mark Millar and J.G. Jones, written by Michael Brandt, Derek Haas, Chris Morgan, directed by Timur Bekmamamantov, and that's the last time I'm going to try to say that. Released mm-hmm. in 2008 on a $75 million budget, grossed $342 million dollars at the box office so kurt a, a long time listeners of film strip of course will know your voice but anybody who may be news going like well who's this dude so please tell people a little bit about yourself and uh, welcome back to the show happy to be here uh and i'm kurt uh from uh, up in uh alberta canada uh i am host of the uh extremely sporadic podcast the fabish factor film podcast um but mostly what I do is uh, uh, letterbox. I'm uh, big on letterbox. That's where I do all my movie reviewing and so forth. And say for the last few years, what I've been doing is watching and reviewing a never ending series of films issued to me by my friends at the Fabish Factor, ranging from classics I never got around to, like in the last year, like War Games, The Lost Boys, Something About Mary, Lost Gems, like Threads to Die For and Bullworth, and just flat out pieces of shit sometimes, <laughs> deliberately like Gili, Catwoman, and The Master of Disguise. But uh, that's what I've been up to. Absolutely. And of course, Kurt, one of the original members of Filmstrip here going all the way back in the archives, you can hear Kurt and I talking about lots of different movies and uh, you know, not all of them are horrible pieces of shit, but uh, you know, a lot of times we had a lot of fun picking our knives out. But th- probably the most famous piece that you've been involved with here is you and I did the works of Stanley Kubrick through the years. And so right. if people go and just search Kubrick on our uh, our feed, all the all the Kubrick episode titles start with the word Stanley Kubrick colon. So you can find <laughs> our Kubrick series. Uh, but I do recommend this. Lots of fun. And, and even if you want to listen to the garbage ones that we had Kurt do through the years, too, I always love them. But, <laughs> but as, as our friend Ron likes to say, and, and honestly, though, it, it's linked in the episode description, folks, you need to be following Kurt on Letterboxd because it's a whole like film history in there. Kurt's <laughs> an, an incredible writer and, and does a lot of fun stuff. But yeah, back to here. And uh, this is a conversation you and I had, God, Kurt, probably 10 years ago, man, online, just back and forth one day. And I don't know how it came up. Probably talking about one of those X-Men flicks because that's you know, when McAvoy really exploded onto the scene. Oh, yeah. And, uh, but I remembered him from this and I remember you had a very strong reaction to it. And so what's your background with wanted? Well, okay. So it's uh summer, uh, 2008, very memorable time for movies. That was a summer where every other week you go look it up. It's like every other week there was something to see that was worth seeing. Even if it, even if you thought it wasn't going to be good, it was like the dark Knight, Iron Man, Indy four, 
Hulk, Speed Racer, Hancock, Wally, Hellboy 2, Kung Fu Panda. And in, in amongst all that is this movie, Wanted. Wanted is a graphic novel by Mark Millar, who's a superb comic writer who wrote stuff like Kick-Ass, Kingsman, and a lot of like canon Marvel stuff, like The Ultimates. Yeah. And uh, he also wrote, he's the guy who came up with the Civil War storyline, which was one of the few direct adaptations they've ever done in the MCU, like going after a specific book. And it's one of my favorites that they've done in that series. And uh, he, uh, one of the best things he did is he wrote Old Man Logan, which is sort of a uh, alternate history, uh, you know, in the post-apocalyptic story about Wolverine. And that basically got adapted with a lot of changes, but that got adapted into being Logan. And it was, you know, that was the, that's the first superhero comic book movie that was nominated for an Oscar for writing. So that's that's sort of that's sort of level that uh, Mark Millar is at. As for Wanted, I think the movie had come and gone. I saw trailers for it, but I think the movie had come and gone by the time I saw, got around to watching around 2009. Before that, I read the book because I think I was reading Wizard Magazine. They talked about the movie. Then they showed the book and the book looked sounded pretty interesting. And it's an awesome story. Every comics writer has their story where they put a dark real world spin on a comic book universe where it's the Batman and Joker and Superman, but they change the names and you get some good stuff with that. Alan Moore did that with Watchmen. Garth Ennis did that with the boys and Mark Millar did that here. He's done that a few times in other stuff like kick-ass and, uh, and so forth. And the, the book is about a world where comic this, this is the pitch that got me excited for the book and the movie when I heard that it's a story about a book about a world where comic book supervillains took over the planet, killed all the superheroes, and erased everyone's memory of those villains and the heroes ever existing. And the villains secretly control everything that happens on Earth behind the scenes. Now that is a pretty killer idea for a comic, and it's a nice idea for a movie. And the makers of the movie love that book so much they neglected to use for whatever reason any of the cool stuff in it and re they replaced all the sci-fi fantasy comic book stuff with just sort of a james bond uh, matrix clone and the, the original stuff they came up with to replace the comic stuff just kind of boggles my mind in some places yeah see i knew none of that going into this in summer of 2008 i saw this in theaters i didn't know who anybody in this was except obviously morgan freeman and angelina showed lee i don't think common was in the uh trailer and it wouldn't have been the thing that drew me to the movie anyway but what i saw looked like a really big dumb summer action movie you know and in the midst of a lot of movies coming out and you laid off a, a heck of a list there i was like you know what this looks like the exact kind of movie where i could go in and turn my brain off and just kind of go with it you know oh, yeah. and my wife saw the trailer too she was like yeah let's go and she's usually not one to go for big action movies so i'm like okay we're gonna take advantage of that so we jump we go to the theater and i remember seeing it like on a matinee on a saturday and I remember thinking to myself in the middle of this, I'm like, hey, this is really stupid, but it is kind of fun. And then yeah. I was like, oh, that's really just kind of boring. Okay, that that's even dumber. Oh, wait a minute. I bet that's going to be his dad. Yeah, of course it is. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, and then it just went, you know, full crazy at the end. And I was like, okay, but it was totally worth it for the line where Morgan Freeman says, shoot this <laughs> motherfucker and, and let's get on with our lives or whatever. And I was like, well, the theater actually erupted. Like it was a small crowd, but everybody thought that was funny because you don't see Morgan Freeman do that. Like Never. it's just not, you know, it's not what he does. He, he's played nefarious characters, but you know, not that, I mean, this is when he's doing the dark Knight, like two blocks over. 
That's you know, right. This is all shot in Chicago. So maybe I think some of the same road, you know, from Dark Knight is in this. Exactly. But, uh, but yeah, I, you know, I didn't know anything about it. Again, I watched it, walked out, and I was like, okay, well, this, you know, it was exactly what I thought it was going to be. Big, dumb popcorn fun, blah, blah, blah. And I've just caught it here and there. I mean, this thing had a rotation on FX for years. And hmm. I've just caught it here and there, pieces of it, you know, through the years. But I don't ever think I've sat down to, like, purposely watch it start to finish again. But you and I had had that conversation. You were like, man, it's nothing like the book. It's based on whatever. And the way you describe the book now is exactly the way you pitched it to me then. I was like, that sounds awesome. I do not want to read that because if I enjoy that movie in the least bit, it will ruin that for me. I'll yeah. never be able to watch it again. And so I still have never, never read it. Um, but I, I do understand that it's quite compelling. And I'm sitting here listening to you talk and I'm going like, that sounds a lot like the boys. And then, you know, oh, okay. It's the same you know group of folks doing these kind of things. So, for sure. yeah. And, and I'm not, uh, completely lost i think that someday they don't come around to do this again more probably more in that kind of stretched out television format something like amazon or whatever becomes a hulu i don't know that disney will touch this but uh you know somebody might netflix you know something uh but for this movie i mean again i i remember just going to see it and only thing I ever really knew about the background of it was I didn't know who James McAvoy was at all. I have since seen him in so many things, some good, some not so good, but usually he gives a pretty good performance, even when he's in a piece of garbage. Um, it was only years later that I realized there's this movie's also populated a lot of other faces that I know from other stuff, you know, through the years. And, and I'll try to point out a few of them as we get into it here, but, I just remember this. And then the only background thing I read on it was Angelina Jolie specifically picked this because she had just come off of having a kid and several other like big dramatic things. And she wanted to do a big popcorn action movie. And this <laughs> is what she picked. And I was like, well, okay. <laughs> you know, and that was pretty well all I knew. And, and yeah. So, you know, going back to it though, after all these years, man, um, I don't know. It was, it was different. I was like, okay, so where am I going to do this? And I, lo and behold to me, didn't know it. I had actually bought this on Amazon prime somewhere along the way. <laughs> and I went and dug through my history. I'm like, come on, Amazon. Well, how much did I waste on this? And I, I bought it for $5. So I don't feel bad. <laughs> so it's, you know, the digital version is cheaper than the DVD at the time, I guess. And uh, the transfer is actually pretty decent. So I'm like, well, okay. You know, cause sometimes Amazon streaming can be a little wonky, you know, but uh, on this one, I was like, okay, yeah, it's, it's fine. So at least I had access to it. And uh, not that like, it's not streaming in like five places right now anyway. So, you know, you, you can watch it wherever you go. But mm-hmm. yeah, I, like I say, I, I don't remember much about it up until, you know, having rewatched it for this. And I just remember feeling like I was watching a Matrix clone. But at this point, Kurt, God, there had probably been three dozen of those, you know. Yeah. And I mean, if not only in film, you would had video games and, you know, Max Payne, all that action. And so I had just become sort of desensitized to it because alert i only think the first matrix is maybe half good and the rest of them i have nothing for like if we ever got around to reviewing them here it would just be me going no <laughs> like i just I, didn't, I never never really went for those and i that makes me a minority opinion i know but i i saw them all the theaters except for the last one i, I, I didn't even bothered i don't care but the, the the other ones i i saw in a theater and i was like yeah this is a big deal you know i mean i really really didn't so um i i felt like i had seen this yes a hundred other ways but I don't know. I mean, it's uh, if you're going to copy things at the time, sure, why not? I'm really curious, though, if you know why they went in such a different direction, because it sounds like they had a fertile piece of work to go from, and then they just took a complete left turn into Tropeville. 
it's like if you if you, like I don't know why you would adapt this book if you don't want to do this book. Like they they take there's certain things they take like the plot is fairly similar. Mm-hmm. It's just the world and the characters it takes place in is so drastically different that you know to the point where they could have changed the name of the of the of the book. I mean, of, of the movie because it's it's just so uh, so different because they spent it's I was going to say it's like well, they, maybe they didn't have enough budget to pull off because if you did the if you did the book it would be a very you know you like Avengers a lot of special effects people flying around magic powers and and stuff mm-hmm. and I was going to say maybe they didn't have enough money but the movie costs uh, seventy five million bucks which is a chunk of change sort of a medium budget chunk of change where you could you could have done that if you wanted so it just someone uh, either the writers didn't like that magic part or they just wanted to focus on the, you know the attitude part uh of the story i don't know i don't know why they didn't want to go with the co- the coolest stuff in the book but you know cuz pe- that that's the thing i keep thinking it's like if they did exactly what the book did people would like that people would respond to it like i look at what mm-hmm. the boys has done i'm only halfway through the show but it's like clearly people love hardcore r rated super violent superhero stuff they just didn't like it just and the boys is the first one to really click big with that I, I feel like that is a thing that hollywood wants to do all the time anyway and maybe even the comic book creators do they get tired of writing these goody two-shoes saviors of the world and they want to give them some edge right so they you know, they can't necessarily do it with the primary characters so they decide well let, let's do it with you know people that are similar enough to them so people can wink wink figure it out but they're you know they're evil doppelgangers in another universe yeah. or multiverse or what the hell ever and i mean i can see like the urge to do that i mean being a big buffy fan there were multiple times as that show got going on where clearly like sarah michelle was like can i just be evil for like an episode or two and they're like okay sure and then just you know write some contrivance around it or one of the other cast members would do the alice hannigan got that turn a couple different times <laughs> and i clearly it's just to keep them interested tv show i get it you know but I, I think about you know those like super violent comic book type things like something like the watchman which is in the same vein as this type of stuff and i happen to think that movie's not terrible but everybody who loves the book hates that friggin' movie but they loved the hbo show that came out a couple three years ago you know or, or whatever so and then something like brightburn which i think is brilliant like what if superman was just an evil kid you know like this if superman is michael myers rules but nobody liked that movie so i'm like well you know like it works and it doesn't you know and the, what say what we will like we're, we're you know complaining about this and i think rightfully so because we'll get into it in a minute but i mean the movie made a ton of money like it was huge and as i said it was on that rotation forever so it's i looked up like it's rental stuff and it was making tons of money doing that too this was massive and it was massive not only domestically but uh overseas as well so it clearly resonated with somebody yeah that's that's the other confusing thing is uh i was i keep thinking of the movie as a bomb just because it's you know the only comic book movie that didn't get a sequel then i look it up and you know 340 million that's that's decent that's enough to like warrant a sequel and apparently it's been one of those sequels where they wanted to do it right away but it was kind of it's just been stuck in development hell because I, I, I wonder because like it would be ideal for uh, like Netflix or Amazon or something to make into a TV show yeah. of some kind. Uh, and uh, hopefully someday they will. As much as I, you know, my uh, whatever I think of this movie, I would still I'd be totally in support of someone someone else doing a, a, an adaptation of Wanted again. Yeah, I mean, I think as we'll get into the plot here in just a second, the, the problem may have been that they wrote themselves in such a damn corner. There was nowhere to go. <laughs> yeah, I was just thinking that, 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 you know, they, they made a little bit of a mistake by killing every single. I've never, it's a weird thing to do to start a franchise potentially is to kill yeah. every single character off. Yes, yeah. Spoiler alert, everyone dies. <laughs> Let me do the plot summary. We'll just get to how everybody dies. So James McAvoy plays Wesley Gibson, who is a nobody. 
or so he thinks. His dad left him when he was born. He has a miserable office job. His girlfriend, who somehow survived her high school running with predators and aliens, hates him and cheats on him with uh, his office mate, a pre-framed Chris Pratt. And he suffers from debilitating panic attacks. So he's constantly Google searching himself to confirm how big of a loser he thinks he is. But Wesley's wrong. You see, Wesley's the son of a member of the fraternity, a group of elite assassins who use their elevated heart rates and intellect and all kinds of other skills to literally bend the laws of physics so they can accomplish their hits. Led by Mr. Sloan, Morgan Freeman, and guided by an automated textile loom that has some sort of divine power, the fraternity executes orders on people to, quote, maintain the balance in the world. And that's what they tell Wesley. Fox, a female super assassin played by Angelina Jolie, uh, who knew Wesley's father, seemingly rescues him from a man named Cross, an expatriate of the fraternity who attacks him at a supermarket. Fox and her associates convince Wesley of his heritage and abilities, though it takes several beatings physically and mishaps. And he learns that he's there eventually to kill Cross and the, the man he's told killed his father. But all of that is bullshit because Cross is Wesley's father. <laughs> Cross learned that Sloan started manipulating the fate loom years ago for personal gains, and he's left the order because of it. Wesley doesn't learn this, of course, until after he shoots Cross in the middle of an insane training sequence where we see Fox turn to kill Wesley, who narrowly escaped. Hellbent for leather and revenge, Wesley attacks the fraternity stronghold using rats wired with explosives and goes full Leroy Jenkins through <laughs> dozens of the fraternity, finally surrounded by Fox and others facing Sloan. Wesley confronts him with the truth, and Sloan doesn't deny any of this but he reveals to the other members that all of their names came up one time or another from the fate loop so he simply alters things in their favor like anyone in power would do so as he implores them to quote shoot this motherfucker fox decides no fuck the code and, and <laughs> shoots a bullet that curves around the entire room killing the entire members of the fraternity including her sloan escapes and wesley is left alive and now back to being broke and directionless he stumbles to his old life and working late at his desk because he somehow maintained his job after telling off his boss he doesn't notice sloan approaching him from behind with a gun except it's not wesley it's a decoy. Wesley has taken control and with a few tools and resources left to him by his father. He sets up Sloan for a kill shot, ending the fraternity once and for all and murdering what could have been a, a financial franchise uh -huh. in the process. That's about as much as I can summarize, Kurt. We're just going to have to get into this movie and talk about it. For sure. Yeah. I mean, so where to even begin? I think we have to start with that opening scene because it does set the rules for the game and you have David O'Hara who I've seen in lots of different things. He usually plays a heavy and he walks in like this badass sort of James Bond esque henchman thing. And you've got this woman who's clearly of Indian descent. She's, she's obviously married. She's got the, the red you know, signifier on, on her forehead, which uh, immediately like even going in 2008, I'm like, that's going to turn into a laser sight. Like this, this is not the kind of movie that's not smart enough to not do that. And yeah, hell yeah. Like 20 seconds later, they blow her head off. And I'm like, well, you already know what kind of movie you're in, <laughs> you know? And, and you see this guy do this death defying sprint down the hallway where he dents the wall and, when he jumps across the building diehard style and starts shooting dudes in midair, like matrix and shit. And you've got the two thousands new metal pumping in the background. Mm -hmm. I will give this movie credit for setting a scene and setting a tone that it, it, this is what you're in for is motocross, the action movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, first off, what strikes me about the opening of the movie is it sets the visual language bar right away, uh, for, uh, 
it's done it all. Everything is done in such a breakneck pace, even showing Wesley looking himself up. Uh, and then, you know, cut right away. Like this is like, it feels, it feels like it was all within like 60 seconds. We see introduce Wesley. He very quickly describes himself and then cut to David O'Hara. Uh, and the movie doesn't give you any time to, to, to breathe. Um, Mm-mm. and I will say, I, I have to say, I really hate the look of this movie. It's shot by the same guy who did uh, the first Transformers movie and the country bears. And it has that, uh, that Michael Bay look that I just, hate in movies which is that everything is on fire everything is sweaty and it's a visual style that thankfully has kind of gone away in uh movies as of late yeah bay has even even uh, left that uh he, he hasn't left the sweaty element ambulance is incredibly sweaty as a movie but he has he has left that style he's gone more back to like the bad boys look but yeah he had a he had a a, a time period of movies that were heavily computer generated and they all look like this washed out sepia tone on acid Oh yeah, for, yeah, for sure, and that, that is a thing. And some guys can do that, do that great. Like I think, uh, uh, I thought Tony Scott can do that great. Depending oh, yeah. on the movie, Ridley Scott could do that great. But this guy, uh, Timur Bekmambetov, who uh, before this, uh, you know, he's a Russian director, and before this, he made some movies that are apparently are great. Like uh, he's one of those directors that makes great movies in you know his own country, comes to America, and his style doesn't really translate. He made these two vampire movies called Night Watch and Day Watch, which I haven't seen. I heard they're outstanding, like a real like interest, like a whole new spin on like a vampire movie as a crazy action movie. If it's anything like this, if I could, I could see like this style being good in a better movie, p- possibly with maybe his own cinematographer, someone from Russia to like the whole thing is would be more natural. But but uh, yeah, just. Uh, the visual sets it's kind of it's it's very it's an it's a it's an ugly look and uh, the scene itself uh the book does open with this character sorta getting killed it opens with a guy you think is wesley's father getting killed only this thing of him having inexplicable super speed that creates a sonic boom as he's running through the building that lets him launch across sky, skyscrapers that's not in the book it makes it even weirder it's like the one and only superpower moment in the film not counting the bullet curving stuff it makes it look like it sets it kind of it'd be kind of disappointing it makes it look like everyone in the movie is going to be doing stuff like that uh and they don't i i like the the russian doll bullet thing uh mm-hmm. where the, the the bullet launches a smaller bullet and another one another one to keep the velocity up and show i like how showing it in reverse uh that's how you see that it, you don't see it going into the guy you see it coming out of the guy and traveling you know miles across new york whatever city it is i thought that was a, i thought that was an okay sequence yeah, when when Mister X lands on the building and he he shoots his way through all these guys and I mean it's it's great blood splatter and you know you get all of that kind of stuff and he picks up the I mean you talk about a, a movie that has dated itself the flip phone the little silver flip phone Sony <laughs> I had one almost just like it and he he picks it up and I think it might have been a Motorola but either way and Thomas Crashman's on the other side going like they were just decoys and that's when you realize like this this <clears throat> bullet comes out of his forehead hmm. and when i first saw it i thought that looks cool and then i'm with like you and it's reversing and going out of the back of his head and shooting across the city because it's this missile basically that's got stages to it i'm like that looks cool except the drilling out of the head i've seen that effect done well in two other movies phantasm and puppet master neither <laughs> of those look like a turd coming out of somebody's head kurt <laughs> this movie had 50 times the budget either of those did and i'm like oh that 
that looks incredibly bad. Like, I get the effect, and it won't be the last time because they do that shit to Morgan Freeman at the end, too. And it bless his heart, it looked even worse there. And I'm like, damn, that looks bad. Like, I get what they're trying to do. And and it, the expressions yeah. on the face is kind of the thing that sells you. It's like, it, what would you do if you got shot in the back of the head? You wouldn't know. <laughs> you know, I mean, but, but it's almost like you get to see it and feel it twice. Like, that would blow. But it, I don't, I don't get it, man. I mean, it's, oh, God, it looks so bad. It's, it's just so terrible. And I'm with you too. I don't understand that the superpower they all have is that they can b- get their heart up to like 400 beats a minute. So they're basically living hummingbirds or something. And that somehow allows them to like bend the time in space. I'm, I'm pretty sure that's, I'm, I'm not an engineer, but I'm fairly certain that's not how physics works. Like at all. It's not, none of this works. No, it doesn't. It's very inconsistent. The bullet curving. I'm sure we'll get we'll get to that later. The the, the whole the, whatever. It's so weird. Like the movie can't can't tell. Does it want to be a a straight up like kind of like grounded spy Bond movie, or does it want to be a science fiction fantasy movie? Is it is the bullet curving magic, or are they trying to suggest you can do that too? Because uh, you know it's like it's because they don't make it like a magic gun. They just like no, you just. You, Anyone can can, can do yeah, that. Yeah, it's, it's just a fancy like rifle that he's shooting out of, and most of them are just rolling around with you know Beretta ninety two Fs or or Browning Hop Hours or or you know incredible Poser Desert Eagles. Like that's I mean that's what this movie is. is that, they don't have anything special. They I mean the gun that Fox uses the the uh, shoot around or whatever they call it. It's got like a camera on it that'll shoot the gun around a corner or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a real thing. That's like a real piece of tech. You know, I'm like that's I mean it was new at the time, but that exists it's they don't have anything cool or space age or they didn't get it from aliens or you know predators or none of that shit they just just, they can breathe really heavy and fast and that makes them awesome okay Mm -hmm. (laughs) like i I don't mind a dumb movie premise i want to be very clear about that i don't mind dumb movie premises i think dumb movies premises can be a lot of fun sometimes when they don't treat the audience like morons (laughs) Like, if you're going to bother to explain it to me, don't explain it and go like, yeah, details, don't worry about it. Because that's annoying. Like, that pisses me off. That's right. Because, yeah, this movie is very much a a dumb movie action, a dumb action movie vibe. It's written by the guys who wrote Fast and Furious movies. All three of the writers are like, two of them wrote uh, Fast and Furious 2. The other guy wrote, I think, all... uh, I don't know if it's all nine of them, whatever, but it's, it has, it has that vibe. It's, it, it is mm-hmm. not, it's not the, it's not a uh, Christopher Nolan or, uh, you know, uh, Marvel's kind of cool sci-fi. It's, it's, it's leaning, it's much more leaning towards a Michael Bay vibe, unfortunately. Yeah. And and again, I like some of Bay's stuff. I don't think all of it's that bad. It's when it veers into these lanes where it's trying to be multiple things at once. It's trying to be this, you know, epic sci-fi kind of comic book thing, but it's also trying to be very real because, you know, Wesley has the life of every 20 something, you know, at, at the time I was in that age bracket. So I understood the office drone life. Like you feel like, what am I doing? Like his whole little rant is hilarious. A friend of mine watched that one time and said, Oh man, that just hit real close to home. That whole job title thing. Like I shouldn't manage accounts. I should serve them or whatever. Like, you know, whatever they change. Like I've, I've had that, you know, conversation. I'm like, yeah, it's the office space joke. I'm like, that's, I mean, it's an old trope, but they're leaning into that. Everybody can, you know, relate to that. At least the, the target audience of this can relate to it. But the fact they set him up like such a loser, you know, from the beginning. And I'm like, do you know how hard it is even in 2008 to Google search yourself and there to be no results whatsoever? 
Like that's I only can write that off in my head is like the fraternity is clearly wiping the the servers <laughs> for him because that there's you you live making a digital footprint from the time you walk. You know, like if he's in his age range, he went to college in the 2000s. There's a digital footprint of him like that. Is, hmm. It's impossible to have a zero Google search. I, like, I, I know what they're trying to say with that, but it's dumb. And, and especially if you watch it nowadays, people are like, there's no way that could happen without somebody manipulating it. Now, if, and if, if they had dropped that line somewhere in there, I would buy it. Right. Because you can believe that because obviously this things could be manipulated. And at the time, it would have been perfect. Why, why not bother to explain that? Yeah, twenty tw- definitely twenty twenty two. You could not do that scene. You need to have to f- some kind of a more, you know, uh, in in depth explanation of uh, why Wesley is a loser. This, but as a, uh, but for two thousand eight before Facebook, and I think I don't know if I, I can't remember if that was before Twitter or not. I think that's a quick five second way to like uh, how he thinks uh, he's a loser. And uh, mm-hmm. good time to get into James McAvoy, who at this time. Was still trying to uh, get off the ground in Hollywood, so to speak. He'd done a handful of movies uh, that were that were you know successful in various ways, like Last King of Scotland, uh, Chronicles of Narnia. He was in one episode of uh, Band of Brothers, and the big one uh, that he did would have been the year before this, which is probably the best thing he's ever done for me, which is Atonement, which he gives yeah. an extraordinary performance in, and he's in one of the best sequences in any World War II movie ever, where. McAvoy's at the center of this five-minute unbroken take at the beach of Dunkirk, which paints a very different picture than the, the Christopher Nolan uh, Dunkirk film. But that's uh, that's not the story. And I guess this is McAvoy's big break as a Hollywood uh, leading man, and really his one and only attempt at being an action star. It would be Professor X in the X Men movies after that, and he's superb in those. But he doesn't really do too much action in, yeah. in those. I mean, he's literally standing there putting his <laughs> fingers to his temple and, and everything. But in this movie. He racks up uh, um, a hell of a body count. Um, well, like, like splitting glass, especially glass. He does a lot of well, actiony yeah. stuff. Like, yeah, I, I would agree. But I agree with you. He is not because he's not an imposing figure. He's just kind of a small guy. He's not, you know, he's not miniature, but he's not big. He, I mean, Angelina Jolie looks, looks like she's a foot taller than him, yeah. you know, and could definitely kick his ass, which, you know, that's a list of long list of men in the world. But, but I mean, you know, he's, he's a wimp. Like that's the thing is he's just supposed to be like this, this insignificant guy, you know, and that's what he keeps saying. He's like, there's just nothing special about him. You look at his home life, his girlfriend's, you know, fucking Chris Pratt behind his back, which I'm like, man, well, Chris Pratt, man, you talk about somebody waiting for a break in Hollywood. Like, <laughs> yes, I'll do your bare ass shot. I will look sweaty drinking Power Horse or whatever the hell that energy drink <laughs> shit is. Like, I'm like, yes. I'm like, but he comes off exactly as that kind of bro. Like, everybody knew that guy, you know, and the offices yeah. I worked in, we all knew that dude. You know, you had that friend. And it's, I, I mean, it's, it, he's a stereotype. And I'm like, well, this movie is full of these stereotypes, so fine. Like, I, I didn't have a problem with any of that. It's when they're at the the supermarket piece here, and we, we're going to go through all of what goes down. He's He's been in there before. He's back in there again. And first, I don't know how the heck he's doing anything. He didn't have any money, but, you know, whatever. So he's, he's in the supermarket picking up another prescription or whatever for his panic attacks. And... Angelina Jolie just strolls up to him. And I don't know about you, Kurt. Like when I go to the local CVS, if somebody stands next to me, I get like really weird. That was before COVID. I'm like, what, <laughs> excuse me? Like, what can I do for you? And she just starts carrying this whole conversation with him uh, out of nowhere. And it's a good time to talk about her though, man, because say what you will about Angelina Jolie and some of the performances she's given through the years, some better than others, but she never fails to make an entrance 
when she wants to in a movie. Like, and she, I think she knew exactly what kind of movie she was in and just hammed it up the whole time. And it looked like she was having a good time doing it. She's never said anything bad about the movie. So apparently she enjoyed it. Yeah. I, I think Jolie's uh, actually pretty good in this. Uh, what's interesting is uh, in the book, uh, they actually went out of their way to draw the main characters to look like specific actors. They, uh, Wesley is actually drawn to look like uh, Eminem. And Fox sure. is actually drawn to look like Halle Berry, who, which realistically she probably could have been in this movie if, if uh, you know, if Jolie turned it down. But uh, Jolie's pretty spot on. Like, uh, that's the kind of, like, they're going for that level of, like, you know, like in the book, the, who's the hottest female movie star that would be good for a lead in this? Uh, not enough, not, not that many books do that kind of thing. But Jolie, Jolie's a strange movie star for me. I think she's a brilliant actress who rarely does brilliant films. Uh, yeah. amazing performances and stuff like Girl Interrupted, where she won the Oscar uh, for Best Supporting Actress. And then later that, in this year of 2008, she was nominated for another Oscar for Clint Eastwood's Changeling, which is my favorite performance of hers, and that's a killer underrated movie nobody talks about anymore. And here, it's the, the, the in the book, there's not a whole lot with the character in the book, and in the movie, it's pretty much the same. It's kind of just a generic uh trinity from the matrix action heroine but if you're gonna do a character like that angelina jolie makes it interesting to watch yeah and it, we, she doles out her backstory later on down the line but we can tell it now is that she's the daughter of a judge who gets assassinated by this sadistic the most sadistic mob hitman of all time not only does he kill you he tapes your family up in front of you as he burns you alive in front of them or some nonsense and then he brands you you know and like okay that's extreme but this whole movie is extreme so sure i mean she has she has this really convoluted backstory i just want to ask you though she gives that to wesley as sort of motivation because he's struggling with like why should i shoot this person i don't know you know just because the fucking loom told me to which good questions to ask by the way but i mean really like he's struggling and she tells him that and i wanted to ask him like is that you think that's bullshit or you think that's real because she does have the scar you know she shows it to him when she does her not beowulf's mother uh, you know, or whatever, walking out of the pool naked. But um, yeah, what do you think? You think that's bullshit, or you think that's real? I didn't. Uh, I never. I never thought of that. I mean, it's a hell of a uh, in, involved story to be uh, uh, bullshit. I'm, I'm guessing it's a it's a true story. Her her motivations are kind of. Uh, it's like they didn't. It's like the. I, it's like they didn't know what to do with that character. Like like they set her up as a sympathetic character, and then they make the twist of turns out she's one of the bad guys. And you're waiting for the moment where maybe she joins up with Wesley uh, to take on the bad guys, or maybe she's going to be the main heavy or something. And then she just, you know, <laughs> she shoots herself in the head. Um, yeah. Well, with a dozen other people at the same time. So. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, it. but before all of that, we get, we do get a, what I will say is a really fun scene. And it's yeah. fun because Thomas Crashman is playing this as Terminator like as he can. Without being imposing physically, but he is just very stoic and silent, you know, kind of guy. And he's shooting the hell out of out of this, uh, you know, Cheerios boxes and stuff. I got a kick out of watching it, figuring what they actually got licenses for and what didn't <laughs> in the movie. You know, like, oh, that's the generic. They got the license for that. Probably own that. You know, and just figuring that out. And then, um, you know, him and Jolie are hurling bullets at each other and literally into each other at the uh, the supermarket. And James McAvoy is doing what all of us would do, freaking the fuck out and losing his mind to the point that I think the the coolest scene, and I, now that you told me these guys wrote Fast and Furious movies, I didn't know that. I yeah. get it. <laughs> when she slings that Dodge Viper around with the door open and catches him and shuts it and drives off, I'm like, I, 
I think I've seen that in a fast movie now that you say that. So yeah, I, I bought that. I thought that was fun. And, and the whole driving shootout, he's driving like a ice cream truck or some shit after them, which I'm like, there's no way that's keeping up with a Viper, but okay, sure. <laughs> and especially that model Viper. And she's, you know, back there, she, Wesley's halfway driving while she's shooting all manner of guns back at this thing. I, it, it's a dumb scene, but it's fun. Like I, I gotta say, and most of it was really practical. I'm like, I, I appreciate this moment in time before we completely gave ourselves over to CGI effects to do shit like this. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, that's it's worth it's worth noting. This scene isn't this the scene doesn't really get into R rated stuff, but I do appreciate that they made the film R rated in a t- in a time where they kind of stopped making R rated uh, mm-hmm. blockbuster movies. Altogether, I mean, in 2008, off the top of my head, I literally can't think of another one. I'm sure there is one. I, I can't think of what it is. Maybe the the, the Punisher 2 uh, uh, sequel that they did, which oh, is Punisher Warzone. That's yeah. the one. Yeah. But but this movie, yeah, this movie, this is this scene. This is probably the best action scene in the movie. This is where you really see that budget. Um, I think it's. I like the I like the shootout in the in the in the in the store. I like the the corner gun, whatever you want, the, yeah. with the camera. That was a pretty cool gadget. I would have liked to have seen. Uh, that come back later in the movie but i i the car chase bit is that that was, that was a pretty impressive bit her hanging out of the hanging on the hood while steering the car with her feet and i can't remember if wesley's the one uh, you know pumping the gas but that that was a that was a hell of a visual that is a pretty classic angelina like it it, it works that that like angelina jolie makes something like that work it uh, because mm-hmm. she's, she's so straight faced in that but even though there's no way a person wouldn't actually die in real life if they did that, which is, that's the whole thing with all the stunts and stuff is like in the book, it's explained with everyone has superpowers. Like that's Wesley's right. thing. His, his thing is he's literally, you know, they changed the name, but he's dead shot. It's like, he's just thing is like, <laughs> or he's just a, you know, crack shot, every, whatever he does. And, uh, uh, Fox is fairly similar as far as just a crack shot in this. You just, it's just, you got to go with just, you know, movie logic. Cause they don't give an, a different explanation. Well, the one they give it comes up in the next scene when when he wakes up the next morning. He's at he's at the fraternity flop house across the street from you know, wherever he lived or whatever in, in Chicago there, and they never come out and say it, but it's obviously Chicago, and and so they're telling him, you know, you need to shoot the wings off the flies. You know, and I'm like, well, okay, we're just steering straight into crazy land now. Like, let's, <laughs> okay, let what what are we here for, movie? And the comma's got to put a gun to his head, which I'm like, you know, if this was written for Eminem, common pulling a gun on Eminem, I could buy. Uh, <laughs> not, not that common's a violent man, but I'm sure he thought about it once or twice because <laughs> who the hell hasn't <laughs> at one time or another, including Eminem himself. And and Wesley, you know, has his panic attack. Is and give it to McAvoy, man, some good physical acting. He gets that vein to pop out of the center of his head and stuff like I, I have to run a lot of miles very fast uphill to make that happen Kurt I'm like well that's I'm, I'm impressed bro good, good acting and he you know, squeezes off a bunch of rounds and the fly sure enough survives but there's no wings on them and they give this line about like all that blood pumping that fast dumps all this adrenaline into your brain and allows you to to move at a speed that is you know, faster than the blah 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 and that, that's that explains all of it so I can only say for you know Fox's abilities there is that she's just doing the adrenaline bump at the time and and that's you know what what's going on but the fact that that is their entire superhero power that and that they have like the wax bath of all time that you can heal from which is really great if you have cracked skin i'm not sure it can heal broken bones but okay buffy logic and and yeah they heal fast and they can shoot 
beyond belief and they can do all this super accurate assassin shit because they have this ability and they're part of a very special unit. And and this is the, what I call like the, the dangerous coaxing of, of Wesley Gibson that has to go on here. We have to convince him to do this. And going back to what we said earlier about the Fox story, you know, inside of every really believable lie has got to be some truth, right? Like I think about a movie like the usual suspects. And when you know the twist of that movie, that, Kevin Spacey's character, by the way, spoiler alert for a movie that's really friggin' old, uh, that we also reviewed a long time ago. But anyway, when he's, when you realize that he's making most of that shit up on the spot, at least the details of it based off of what's in that room. But what he's telling you is what happened. He's just leaving out all the names because Hmm. that's how he covers it. Or at least that's how I read it. I'm like, eh, maybe, maybe in every lie, there is a little bit of truth. And I wonder how much of what they're telling him is true because they got to get him to believe something he can actually prove and see like Wesley, you didn't yesterday. You couldn't shoot the wings off flies. Now you can, you know, and all that kind of shit just to get him to go along with this. Because what they want is they got to kill a cross because he is apparently the baddest of all the asses that are in this fraternity was, was the cross and they need to take him out because he's going to rat them out to, I don't know who you would rat the fraternity out to, but I guess there's somebody to rat them out to. Yeah, that's this is where yeah this is where it really starts to diverge from from the book because uh, the uh, in the book the actually the one thing that the the movie does that, in, that you know adds to the book that's not in the book is all of the office space style stuff like from yeah. like having the best friend work with him at the office that's not in the book the way he the way he quits. Um, is a way, way better scene in the movie than it is in the book. It's very quick in the book. He just literally, there's this thing, he just throws up his papers. They, they tell him to, you know, tell everyone to fuck off and leave. And in the book, they make it a whole scene where he breaks it down. And, you know, the, yeah, with like McAvoy's performance, his emotion, when he's screaming, shut the fuck up at her. And his just face is so beat. I've never seen an actor face get beat, that beat red in a scene. He's, he's not phoning it in. He gives a good performance in this movie. And mm-hmm. I do like that scene. And uh, I love the stylistic bit of him smashing the keyboard into Chris Pratt's face and the keys going across the screen saying, I think what it said, fuck it's you. Like, fuck you. But the, but the U's are Chris Pratt's teeth. That's right. <laughs> and then, yeah, I thought that was a, that was a, that was an all right bit. And the, actually the, 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 the shooting the flies that actually is straight out of the book. Um, okay. Which is, uh, it's, it's, I mean, it plays better in a, in a, in a, in, on the page, uh, as opposed to a movie, because it doesn't really make sense of like, how, how do you shoot the wings off a fly without, killing the fly without burning the fly without i mean i, I don't know what but in uh again it makes uh it's in, in the book it's a thing of him they're trying to introduce to him that these are your powers that you you have the power of just you know you're a bullseye with everything that you do and in the movie it's like well it looks like everyone has that they make kind of make everyone have just the one guy's powers because that was the thing in the book is like everyone is everyone is meant to be a sort of a you know a tra- a adaptation of another character without changing the name like fox is sort of Catwoman. This character of Sloane is called the Professor in the book. He's very much Lex Luthor. His, mm-hmm. And like, every, and it's a very sci-fi heavy world. Like the fraternity is not a big empty, you know, warehouse where they got a loom. It's this underground specter, uh, you know, uh, uh, villain uh, injustice society lair. Um, and Sloane, yeah, Morgan Freeman. His this this is definitely an addition to the book. Like I said, because a big thing with the plot is. The, uh, the who the villains are is, is it's confusing in this movie compared to the book. In the book, it's like the supervillains took over the world, 
And it's about this one supervillain called Mr. Rictus, who they name drop in the movie uh, as a some guy who got killed. They just they give they they give some dead body that name. But Mr. Rictus is like a stand-in for the Joker, and he's sort of he's very much written like exactly like the Joker, like Mark Miller's version of the Joker. And he's a much more charismatic character than than Morgan Freeman plays. So, and it's about how that character is like you know no matter what you do, villains will try to screw somebody over, and when there's no but no one but villains left, they'll screw each other over. And it's mm-hmm. about this sort of basically this Joker character trying to kill off all the uh, one group of villains so that his group of villains can survive. And in this, uh, yeah, the the plots it's uh, confusing. We haven't gotten to the loom the loom of destiny yeah. yet, but uh, it's it, even though I just watched the movie a little bit ago, it's like it's I'm not it's 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 conf- it's confusing uh, uh, somehow. Yeah, I'm really I'm really not. I, I haven't figured it out yet either. And I've seen this, you know, a couple of three times. And before we get to that, we've got to say like the seduction of Wesley Gibson, though, they hit him with everything that he could possibly ever want. Right. They give him this overwhelming sense of confidence, finally, that he does matter. and He has something. So he is able to tell his boss off and you know, nearly decapitate his friend with a key with an ergonomic keyboard, which was an <laughs> awesome scene. And he checks his bank account where he had $14 the day before and now he's got like $3 million or whatever because they transfer all of Cross's assets to which they just give him Mr. X's money we find out later because uh, Cross is hanging on to his dough. He he didn't cash into that Bitcoin shit. He just kept cash <laughs> under, the, under the table. Um, <laughs> but, you know, fortune favors the brave, I'm told. But anyway, uh, so he, he's, he's seduced by all of this shit because he comes out and there's like his pictures on every fucking newspaper <laughs> known to man, him Angelina Jolie, and she just pulls up in a car that she's stolen, you know. And okay, cool. Can you teach me how to do that? And like, she's giving him nothing, which I think is funny. And then they proceed to beat the hell out of him for a while, you know, to try to get him to to come to understanding that he's there because he doesn't know who he is. They're trying to break him down to build him back up, right? This brutal training. But that's when Sloan drops the loom of fate on him. <clears throat> and Kurt. <laughs> I'm I'm gonna ask this, and I only want to ask it once. I'm assuming this isn't in the book, right? There's none of this stuff in the book. This fate loom business. Hell no. <laughs> okay, I didn't think so. So the, I don't know how you come up with a. Well, for a thousand years, we got this thing that seems to operate on its own, and I got this whole like mangler vibe <laughs> bad stephen king movies i've watched and other shit where it's just sort of constantly running and and checking out stuff and if you look and you see that this thread's not over this it's all a binary code and it works out to be a bunch of names and i'm like or it could just be a fucked up loom <laughs> you know like how, do, how did that get discovered we get none of that and i can only talk that up to the fact that this is a uh, an hour and 40 minute movie and i mean it's on it's on gas the whole time this is this is the super speedway movie they're not slowing down for shit and so they don't explain nothing and in true aaron sorkin style all that is getting dropped as we're walking through a noisy building too and i can only think that like they don't want us to overthink it or whatever but damn it it's such an important part of the plot i'm gonna stop and overthink it like that doesn't make any not that it doesn't make any sense you don't give any logic for it to make any sense give me some bullshit logic for it like if it had all come out of an ancient book or some text or something that got misinterpreted like i can buy that right because that has modern allegory but that it's just this thing happening and that you decide to interpret it well that doesn't make any like how did you get to choose to do that like there's there's none of that works at all and it's it really really puts a hamper on being able to follow anything else that's going on in this movie when they do the loom of fate 
Yeah, the the Loom of Fate, which it, that's it's just stupid. Like that name yeah. is so stupid when they like having to call it like the the, the Loom of Fate because I guess the Hammock of Destiny was taken and <laughs> not at all in the books. I don't know where they got it. There's a couple things in this all the stuff. There's a lot of things in this movie that are not in the book, like the the Russian doll bullet thing is not in the book. The leaping across the buildings and it almost makes me think this is one of those movies that started off as some other original screenplay, and it got to the producers. They were they had the rights to want it and they just combined the two because that because like there's there's nothing in the book that is the loom of fate uh, they're just the the vill- everyone in the book they're just a group of you know super villains that control the world like an illuminati thing they don't go around killing people either that's some, that's a whole other thing is i don't know where they came up with that a loom that takes the fabric they feed into it and prints the secret language that tells you the loom tells you who to kill next so for no discernible reason, it seems they just they just kill like the loom says you got to kill someone you kill someone. They don't say the the person did anything. Uh, I don't think. Uh, no, yeah, they they never they never say it, and that's when you know they're they're talking about that one businessman that they want Wesley to shoot after him and Jilly are riding the L, right? You know, and he's supposed to shoot him through his his window during some late night board meeting. I'm like, what a work? We just shoot the guy for being a workaholic. Damn. <laughs> but I mean, you know, I'm like, you know, what? You know, what did that guy do? Like, they didn't give us any reason. That's when she lays her whole backstory about like, oh, you know, somebody didn't else didn't understand, and sure enough, if they'd have killed the evil psychopath, you know, my dad would still be alive, or blah blah blah, you know, or whatever. <laughs> which is which is bullshit. Like, I'm like, there's no, there's that's not true. Like, they, they, that's probably a lie. Like, it probably happened to you, but that's not why that happened to you. She's just using that. I, I can believe, but they shoot the guy, and then like he didn't go later and go like, was this guy have like child porn or something? Like, was, was he was he dealing drugs? Like, you doing bad? You know, meth? Did, did he like charge too much for the damn rent? Like, who was this guy? You know, and it doesn't matter because they just move on to the next one. You know, he he does a thing where he runs his Mustang over the top of Jolie's Corvette so he can fly over the top of a of a open top limousine and shoot a guy you know and which is a cool looking scene but i don't know why we're shooting this mob boss i guess because he's that right that's what we're supposed to believe yeah it's like again it's it just makes them seem like uh, a bunch of zealots that just kill because yeah. they're they they're told like it's not something as simple as the fraternity are drug dealers or they're they're terrorists or they're trying to take over the world they're just kind of it's like it, it, it's it just it's confusing like how they have so many people like who pays for everything are they making money making quilts or whatever with the fabric when they're done with it and that car flip scene stands out a lot for me it's, every time I think of this movie this is the scene I think of I think uh, it's a very over the top fast and furious thing uh, you know you could put that in a Bond movie if you wanted like using a Corvette as a ramp to flip another car over to shoot someone through the sunroof. A very over-the-top thing, but it seems just so el- elaborate compared to what you could do, like, say, in, uh, the mo- like in Sicario 2, there's just a thing where Benicio Del Toro, he just chucks a grenade into someone's passenger window and accomplishes the same thing. And to me, that was much more you know, impactful. But the thing that stands out with this bit is the when he goes in slow-mo and flips over the car, there's this bit where they don't pitch McAvoy's voice down. They have him say the line slowly. So as opposed to him being like, I'm sorry, it just says it slower, like, I'm sorry. And it's just, it is one of the most bizarre post-production sound effects choices in movie history to me. And they do that a couple times with like people just kind of speak. I, I've, I've seen like t- 
two thousand movies. I've never seen another movie do something like that. So it just yeah, what a weird out. piece of ADR to do. Yeah. I, I'm with you. I've always thought that sounds so strange, and it's a joke because Wesley's constantly apologizing to people, and they and yeah. Fox is always like, "You need to stop saying that." And then he just you know, did he when he does it when he's got confidence and he's blowing some loser away or whatever. That's like, oh, we're supposed to laugh at that. Which honestly, like I, I laughed. I thought it, it's funny. It's a comedy bit, but. I'm also asking myself, why are we doing that in the middle of the, like you drop something as heavy as the loom of fate is teaching us to balance the world out by whacking all these people. And then you don't explain why that's going on. And then you just do these kind of jokey, you know, faux bond mission things. Like it's, I don't know. It, it seems like this movie's going from sugar rush to like crash very quickly. You know, it's trying to be two things at once. And I don't know if there were, cuts made I, i've never seen anything about an extended cut or anything because i i remembered to myself like oh yeah this movie kind of drags in the middle i'm like no it doesn't there's nothing about this movie that drags that's the problem it never stops like yeah. it's its own speed the whole time and you don't know what's going on and I, you know, I guess we're just supposed to go with it because we didn't talk about the, the, the big superhero trick that they taught Wesley is how to curve a bullet. And anybody who's watched Mythbusters knows that they, they spent like a whole episode screwing with this. And, you know, I mean, because why not? That's what the poor little guys, what they got to do with. Hey, whatever. They all they all did quite well with that. Rest in peace, Grand Imhar. But I mean, they they do this and i love how morgan freeman's like if no one told you that a bullet went straight how would you think it would go how would you do it and it's like in other words i just need you to mimic this bullshit like throw the gun like your gangster throwing it or whatever in saints row two and that'll that'll curve the bullet around the pig or the dead uh grandmother that we stole from the morgue or you know angelina jolie and and you know he does bullseye when he just he just flips her hair back with it and i'm like well it's a cool shot but I know it's bullshit and I'm not supposed to take it too seriously, but you spent way too much time setting it up. Like they should have said like, Hey, Wesley, pick up that gun and just swing your arm with it once and watch what happens. And the fact that he could have just <laughs> done it would have been so much cooler. Be like, Holy shit. Can I do that from the other side too? And you know, then they'd like have him have fun discovering his powers instead of like, how do you, I can't do it. I'm not good enough. Like that's so annoying. Yeah, again, this the bullet curving thing gives me such a headache every time I think about it because it's not in the book. It's an invention of the writers or the directors, and it never, ever, It's an ever. invention of the Wachikowskis, man. Let's be honest. It's fucking yeah, that's, theft. Uh, <laughs> totally. It's like they're it's, – it's this thing of the movie is trying to out-matrix the Matrix or like to do a, a slow-mo bullet time type thing, but they're not going to do that, so they do this thing with – curving the bullet in slow-mo which the matrix didn't really do they did funk they didn't do that much funky stuff with bullets besides like having them you know stop in midair but it just it just it just i can't i can shut my brain off for certain fantasy things like mm -hmm. uh it's calling it superpowers or having it be a gadget like the gadget does it the gadget spins the gun around or something we have a special kind of gun or something but it just i i can't watch this and just not think you can't alter the trajectory of a bullet by spinning the gun it just looks ridiculous every single time every time i see that scene of with jolie i just think i don't know if anyone's done a parody of that scene yet but it just it just seems so right for parody where it just you know she's like go ahead and try it and she he just accidentally shoots her in the head 
because that's oh, what, no, what I happened. I think Mad TV did that. I'm pretty sure yeah. they did. You know, one of those kind of shows would have done that. SNL wouldn't do it, but like, yeah, Living Color, one of those kind of shows would have done that completely. If you had done this in two other contexts, I would have bought it. If Bugs Money had picked up a gun that had a curved barrel on it and shot it like that, I'd have bought <laughs> that. You know, or if again, if if you had just set up that like this is what we can do with our super speed, you know, thing, like I would I would have bought it. It would it would have made sense. Because you've already introduced these fantastical things in the world here. But the fact that he has to practice at it doesn't make no. any sense. He's not Luke with a fucking lightsaber. All right. Like he, he can be Mary Sue and pick the gun up and do it once. I don't give a shit. Like this, this movie's not that smart. Like stop you know, doing that. Cause you're, you're not explaining the things that need explaining the loom and why you're doing this and where all your money comes from. And you're spending 10 minutes on him trying to not shoot a pig. And it's, it's ridiculous. I, I just, I don't know. Um, I mean, it, it it's dumb and it, it it wouldn't be such a hard thing to swallow if they don't spend the rest of the movie doing this shit. And yeah. if it's not in the climax of the movie too, as we'll, we'll get to, but yeah, I, oh, it's just, it, I'm with you, man. It annoys the hell out of me. And I'm glad it's not a part of the book. Cause I was like, yeah, there's like, I can even imagine if you wrote that, it would be way more compelling than what they show us. What they show us. is just so dumb, you know? Yeah, it's just it's and it's just a shame that it's like if if this were a random other movie or like if they did this something like this in like the Suicide Squad or something they would have one one guy that's his thing he can yeah. do that but to have to have they make it the crux of that's the whole selling point of the whole movie's action is dude did you see that move the bullet curving movie like that's the whole that's this that's this movie's entire hook and it's just it's you know it's I think it's a, it's a dumb hook it is a dumb hook it is a it is a dumb ass hook all the way around <clears throat> because it's a one trick pony. Cause once you've seen it and you've seen it happen, well now it's not cool anymore. You know, I mean, it's, there's a reason there's two reasons they didn't show a lot of dusting on Buffy the vampire slayer, except when it really meant something. One, it cost too much money every time they <laughs> did it. So I mean, they're trying to save a little dough. And second, Whedon was right about this. If we show it all the time, it's never going to mean anything when she does like something that matters. So yeah. when something gets dusted, it's because you're supposed to see it. You know, like the first few times, so you know that that's how the physics work. Every time else, eh, you just need the sound. And then the, the audience will substitute the visual for themselves, which is true, right? Like, it, I, I just think they, they didn't need this. It, it would be almost like... They could have done it so much more like, uh, and this is a bad movie, but uh, Colin Farrell as uh, Bullseye in Daredevil, that movie's <laughs> garbage, but he is awesome in it. And like, if he had been the guy that could do that, like, I can buy that. Like, yeah, I'm okay. If he's Deadshot, if he's if he's Bullseye, sure, I can go with that. And and if Fox is the female version of that, cool, sure, no problem. But like, well, you could have even made it like, you know, Cross was my dad too, or some some nonsense or whatever. And he gave me up to the judge or what the hell ever she said. Mm. But and this movie's not that smart it's not gonna take that kind of time because it just keeps going but we, it's all leading up to this and we're skipping through a lot of stuff but it doesn't matter because it's just a bunch of shooting and killing and bullshit <laughs> and, and we haven't even talked about it. danny elfman does the score man that was the thing i did not remember when i saw his name on the screen i was like what i was like i think of danny elfman doing a lot of stuff faux new metal is not something i thought he had in his repertoire but by george he delivers it yeah, I, so that kind of blew me away. I didn't notice that. I, did, I you know, doing all my write up for this sh this this show, I didn't notice until like a few minutes before recording, looking up the Wikipedia that Danny Elfman did the score because there's no way in hell I would ever guess no. uh, because I, I I'm not a fan of this is this is definitely a, a mid 2000s late 90s thing of that new metal hard rock 
constant, you know, uh, guitar as opposed to, you know, a, a, some kind of orchestral theme. The movies were moving away from orchestral uh, themes around this time. It's like, you know, they're certainly away from like hummable themes, like, you know, the yeah. Dark Knight, you know, the, the Hans, that Hans Zimmer, like either have Hans Zimmer where you can't remember it when it's over, uh, when you leave in the theater, or you have, uh, you, you know, use soundtracks and songs, or use this, uh, like this, uh, this sort of blasting, uh, rock soundtrack which maybe some people are, are fans of i'm just i'm i'm not a fan of it and it's like it's like you know it's, it just seems like a, like if you're gonna get like i don't know why you get danny elfman to do that i mean like you could get uh get an actual band to do a score like well, that because what well moreover you've got the nine inch nails song every day is exactly the same in there yeah. twice like why don't you get friggin resner to do this i guess yeah, this is exactly. maybe before he was doing those but i mean he does incredible work and, and oh, his yeah. cohorts do incredible soundtracks but jeez, uh, man they they messed up we could have got charlie clauser uh, saw had been out at this point like he would have killed on this Dan, you get danny elfman to do this it's yeah. It's well, it's a choice. I mean, that's that's for sure. It's not one I would have gone with, but it's it's all leading up to we're gonna get cross on the train. It's time to you know go go to the train, right? It's his it's his mission there. But of course, we know Fox is there to kill Wesley after he kills Cross. And I gotta say, it's a pretty good action scene on this train. I've seen this scene replayed a lot of different ways. And a lot of different times, they're all, you know, of course, ripping off the classic from Russia with love, which hmm. is, man, if, if you only know Robert Shaw as Quint and Jaws, folks, you need to go back a few more years and see that because hmm. that's an, a performance he's giving there. And it's maybe one of Connery's best things he ever did as, as Bond is that scene. But they're doing this and I, I could have gone with it to the point that the fucking train is going down the mountainside cart and we're still shooting at each other at that point i'm like man this is like there's there's so many people that are dead now because of this one thing like at least 200 people are dead now for this one hit and i the collateral damage in this movie is never assessed on any level like people have banged on man of steel for years right <laughs> for for the, the collateral damage caused in that movie um and and nothing, nothing compared to this right here, where these guys are shooting other people only to, to shoot each other. That's I got a question for you. Why is Cross shooting at Wesley all the time? Because he's yeah. got real bullets he's shooting at him. <laughs> yeah, this yeah, this this is back to this the, the big headache with, with this stuff. Uh this this the scene though, the the uh I like to shoot out on a train because yeah, it's very this like you know, that first bit with uh Jolie hanging out of the car is very uh Fast and Furious, this bit on a train is very James Bond. Um, I think it's a decent action scene, although I, I think like, there's a lot of action movies like this where it's like, I know they put as much work into the stunts and the planning of these scenes as like James Cameron would do. But when you don't have James Cameron directing it, it can look like shit. And I, I, that's mm -hmm. what I think with, uh, at least this scene doesn't look as cool as it could have been. Like I got vibes, like I, it made me think, hey, you know, Skyfall did a better train shootout thing a few years later, but it's not bad. But yeah, that bit of, I forgot about that watching it and the train goes off. I'm like, I'm watching it. Like, did they show everyone getting off the cars that go off the, off the bridge? Cause it's like, that's a, an extremely brutal thing to do is like, yeah, like there, like it was like five or six cars go right off the cliff. Everybody's dead. Really brutal for a, uh, for a movie like this. And yes, uh, cross, this is uh first off, I hate the bullets hitting one another. Uh, yeah. They do. They did that in the Suicide Squad, but they very much set it up. Or these are the two. These are the only two people on the planet who can do that. 
it they only did it once they do it a couple different times throughout this one fight and i yeah. think it's 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 just like the bullet curving it's just it's just too silly um and yeah this twist of the wesley killing his own father that happens in the book but in the, they, like in the six issue miniseries the whole last issue is this dialogue scene with wesley and his father where Wesley is being asked to kill him as like this, it's very, this sort of suicidal guilt ridden thing. And in this it's uh Wesley kills his father without even knowing who it is. And it's this really dumb uh, m- movie logic thing where it's like, yeah, he's shooting at him. And it's one of those movie logic things where in the supermarket, why didn't he just yell at it? Be- and the answer is because it's a movie, but why didn't you just mm-hmm. yell out? Hey, Wesley, I'm your dad. Don't shoot. It's me. I'm your, I'm your father. Let's, let's talk. And this this woman over here is just trying to you know uh, but she's gonna end up betraying you. She's one of the bad guys, but he you know but he doesn't do that. And so he you know it's like if he just waited an extra thirty seconds, his father would have explained this, and instead he, he shoots him in the chest and kills him. But yeah. I, I I I thought that was that's that's pretty stupid. I mean it is, and I read something in the behind the scenes that was like, oh, if you watch it, actually, Cross is not shooting at Wesley; he's shooting at Fox. She's just getting around. I'm like, oh yeah. shit, she's not even in the train <laughs> half the time. Now she does a pretty cool stunt to get to the train, which is kind of awesome. She does a, a Mission Impossible stunt to get <laughs> into the train, which I I was cool with. But when when he, he Wesley's falling down out of the train and. Uh, Cross has got him and he's pulling him up and Wesley's free hand has his gun in and that's when he brings him up and he shoots him backwards and launches himself back into the train and but it's almost like he realizes immediately because he he can sense Fox bearing down on him with that pistol of hers and he's like that was my father right he's like yep your name came up and then wisely he does shoot the glass out from underneath himself so he can fall to his death I mean you know to live did he use his dad's body as a surf board or what? <laughs> like i'm like man like there's a scene in grand theft auto 5 where you jump off of a train that you crash over a bridge like this and it's not nearly the fall and i I question like at that point in the video game like could anyone have actually survived that but <laughs> at, at this point i'm like well does he get his heart beat up and it didn't kill him like what what happens and we we should say the way that they found cross was they found cross's bullet maker played by terrence stamp who what the hell are you doing in this movie dude so <laughs> i guess you're just like yes i'll take your check sure you know because yeah. he, he ran i mean he's in for like two days but he he sets up the meat and then he's the one that rescues Wesley and puts him in his own kind of wax bath concoction in uh, what we find out is Cross's apartment, which was across the street from Wesley's all these years. Yeah. Yeah. I forgot Terrence Stamps in this. Uh, that's uh, that's um, because he's in it for like three minutes. Like, yeah, you blink and you miss him. So. Yeah. And it's uh, yeah, this it brings up the confusing thing of a, a certain lack of plot to the whole movie, because I'm, I'm thinking about it, it's like, any other movie, there's a MacGuffin. There's something to go after. There's a, a th- like, like whether it's like the whole thing is about. I don't remember. They don't really focus that much, as I recall. Of like we're all we're doing this all to go get Cross. Right. It's like it just seems like it all happens in the middle of a mission to, to go find Terrence Stamp or you know, like I said, it has that vibe of like you know all this stuff, like the wax baths too, which is also not in the book. Is another thing. It's like this started as another movie and then it got. Me- me- meshed up with wanted because because yeah the, the wax i mean like yeah i don't know how we survived that fall they just they have the wax they have the wax bath there to explain 
why he why he's not dead because it yeah it doesn't that doesn't make sense i mean i'm fine that the MacGuffin is that wesley learns the truth and that he's gonna turn the guns on the bad guys like that's that's a trope as old as time i'm i it didn't need to mean anything more than that it's just the how we get there that i'm i'm like you just drop these little back to the future-esque script 101 plot nuggets in there like the the wax guy at the fraternity that wesley ends up shooting when he's chasing cross once because he it comes out of nowhere at him or whatever, and they can't save him. He's the one that has the idea of putting old Casio watches on on his pet rats with peanut butter and bombing them. I'm like, what the fuck? Like this is that's this random piece of information. But I'm like, well, that's Chekhov's rat, so clearly we're gonna get that, you know. And so Wesley, we've seen Wesley though go through what we know now as Mister X's apartment back at the fraternity, and he read everything about his quote father, so he could learn what he needed to do to kill cross. Well, he gets the same thing again. Cause cross has like a hidden crawl space in his apartment with all of his guns and money and shit. So he can, you know, do what he needs to do. And so Wesley just does the same thing again, except it's told an even shorter montage this time. And we see him with, he's at a grocery store buying all the peanut butter, um, which I'm glad he got it before it all got recalled. But, you know, he got all the peanut butter and then he makes a big peanut butter trap for all the rats so he can, rig them with bombs or something because it's all about coming back to this ending here and crashing a garbage truck full of rats into the fraternity and letting the rats do most of the work and then as i believe i aptly described wesley goes full leroy jenkins into the fraternity (laughs) and if you don't know what i mean by that folks just look it up on youtube but it's basically the video game idea of you just take all your weapons out and you just jump right in the middle and you just start pulling the trigger and you see what happens and wesley shoots his way through this place Pretty in, impressively. I got to say, shooting the one guy in the face and then dragging him along while still <laughs> shooting out of the back of his head was a nice touch because you wanted that guy to die hard because he was such an asshole anyway. It's like, well, yeah, that guy needs to get shot like 50,000 times while we're shooting all of his friends. But the problem with it, Kurt, is I don't know who the hell any of these people are except for that guy and the big fat guy with the knives. And I know how he's going to die. And I, I'm like, what, what, like, I don't know who any of these people are. I don't care that he's whacking all these people, right? Because there's no reason for me to. I, they haven't been set up in any way at all. Yeah, this is uh, this is one of the more bizarre final acts in uh, in an action movie, and it's for a movie that's been uh, trying to be sort of gritty and realistic. Uh, such a silly, silly idea where Wesley somehow gets the idea and uh, finds the time and the ability to attract hundreds of rats with tons of peanut butter and he actually they they should have shown this this is like it'll just show me doing him just show him doing it once strapping watches and bombs to every single one of hundreds of rats load them into a garbage truck crash it into the the frat uh, hq launch the rats at everyone and it's 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 this. They should have just. I would have just cut that out and just cut to him. Yeah. He's, he's already got a tank. He's got a helicopter. Because for yeah. one, it's a ripoff of the penguin scheme and Batman Returns. Only it's rats instead of penguins. It's, it's also a ripoff of Rapid Fire. The Brandon Lee action movie is fucking <laughs> bad too. It's awesome too because when he wades through everybody, it's like, oh hell yeah! I mean, but the, I mean, I've seen Schwarzenegger do that shit and it worked because you believe it. Like this dude doing that makes no sense at all. Yeah, the the, the sprint through the warehouse. You know, it's. I like the idea because in a movie where the movie's been so slow-mo heavy up to this point, mm-hmm. they change it up. Com- they completely change the language of the movie for this very crazy where he's not just running. He is sprinting through a warehouse, blasting through everyone, picking up their guns 
as he goes. Um, and I do like that bit where he shoots the guy and jamming his face, his uh, gun through his face. Cause like, you know, the movie hasn't been extremely R rated, but that's like something you would do in like, you know, Robocop or a Tarantino movie, like extreme X rated type violence, which I like. I wish they did a lot more stuff like that in the movie. Right. Um, but it's, it's, it's so, it's like, it's, it's almost, it feels out of place a bit for like, you know, a movie that wasn't that gory, uh, up till now, but the the music, like I, like I said, I don't I don't really like the enjoy the score and the music, uh, and the pacing of it. It's kind of it's just too fast to enjoy. The editing is too rapid fire. I think another Mark Millar comic that was adapted a few years after this, uh, The Kingsman, did this exact same kind of thing of the chaotic, you know, one man army shootout. They did it so much better with Colin Firth in the church because I mean that's one of the top ten action scenes in any movie for me because the camera. Um, follows him and like we don't we don't cut at all the camera just yeah. stays with him and it's it's you understand everything that's going on lots of good you know the the language of it is is so well done and this it's it's like i can see what they were trying to do but it just it's a bit too messy yeah it's it's incredibly messy and all it is is so that he can get after sloan because he's constantly screaming sloan you know because he's coming for him right while everybody else is, is lining up and he finally gets him in the library or something i don't know it's something where the i guess that ghost is going to jump out at the beginning of ghostbusters because it's all <laughs> hell at this point but you know, all the other i guess faced assassins that we've seen particularly common he's a gunsmith basically and fox pop out and they've all got him dead to rights you know so he he doesn't have anything to stand on anymore and here comes sloan and he's you know wesley's telling him like look sloan's been lying to y'all look i've got his name it came upon the loom you know whatever and because it's left for him in his memoirs and uh, or his father's stuff and sloan starts picking up paper and i love how he's doing it like the teacher at the beginning of uh hiding out where she's like pissed at everybody's bad grades and she's just throwing their tests on their desk and shit i was like yeah your name came up too and so did yours and yours did after i did the act the other day on dark night this is a much better movie than this piece of shit but the zeros on this check are real nice don't you think so common i like your songs and you know i knew your father once angelina he's a wacko you know i mean he's just you know he's just doing bullshit 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 in the room and i love how i'll I'll give that credit the credit to this is like usually the bad guy tries to talk his way out of it like lex Luthor would have tried to explain to you why he was right sloan didn't even bother he's just like yeah no yeah so what you know (laughs) what what do we do that made everything so much worse we're all rich everything's cool if you if you're in power you ain't ever gonna give up power if somebody tells you to and that's a true statement and so i'm like oh okay i mean like i get it it's a it's as lazy a motivation as any other bad guys ever had but sure at least it's not some land deal (laughs) you know like he's trying to buy california or something so yeah, why not? I mean, I, I I get what he's saying. I'm not saying I'm on his side. I'm just saying, like, I get his explanation. What I don't understand is how the words fuck the code from Common are the signal to Fox to, yeah, baby, take us all out. Like, did they work that out ahead of time? Like, if I ever say this, this is like my safe phrase. <laughs> and, and you know to do, put the goodbye bullet in, because that's what the fucking bullet says that's going around the room, you know, <laughs> and shoots everybody in the head. I, I, I don't understand what motivates them to do that, because based on the information that they presented, they should shoot this motherfucker <laughs> and keep moving on. Yeah, this again, this makes the plot and the motivations of the villains uh, just kind of confusing because it's like it's like the like Morgan Freeman is, is, is the twist is as like the, the villain twist is 
they're still going around killing random people, but just not when it's us. It's like I'm trying. I'm like I'm trying to figure out what the. It's like what makes him a greedy, like a, a scumbag. It's like like we're, mm-hmm. we're killing everyone, but just only, but just not us. And um, and yeah, and that that that's that bit a, a total waste of Angelina Jolie in the climax. I don't know why they wouldn't try to come up with a fight scene or something with with, with McAvoy because this this is because uh, it's, it's an okay character, but this made me think the character was a complete idiot zealot. Because she would rather follow the code to the letter and commit suicide than uh, take it out on Morgan Freeman and like just just shoot him and just survive and you know being wanted too. But that scene is that's a that is one of the more bizarre kind of climactic. It's like you know Star Wars has the Death Star blowing up. This has thank God everyone was standing in a perfect circle, I mean, perfect circle. And in, in this, Perfect. nobody, nobody thought to, nobody thought to duck when they saw her with the way she was pointing the gun. Cause it just, it, 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 again, the bullet curving never makes sense. And it really, really doesn't make sense here. Cause the bullet doesn't just go on an arc. It just goes in a perfect circle, somehow goes through everyone's head, doesn't stop or at anyone's head, but it stops at Fox's head. That's where it stopped. Cause by, well, by the movie logic, technically the bullet should have just kept going around in a circle, uh, for the, for, you know, for the end of time, the way the bullet was going. Yeah, it was and on a it, perfect line the whole way. It's like a perfect concentric circle the whole way around. And it's not like all of them resigned themselves to their fate. Like yeah. only her in common drop their gun. She throws her gun to Wesley. And everybody else has got their guns trained on Wesley. Just they're not fast enough for her bullet or something. Like it's doesn't make sense like at all. Like in a movie that's nonsensical anyway, like this is just dumb. Like it would have been all different if they all dropped their arms, you know, like they were all resigning at the same time. That's a message you're sending, but she just outfoxes them. Oh God, I just do that. But I mean, really like this, it's dumb. It's a dumb. And then like you say, it stops in her hard head. Okay, sure. You know, but I mean, yeah, it doesn't matter because he's trying to shoot Sloan and Sloan gone. It's like, nope, I'm out. I'm first time on a wipe out your bank account and then I'm gone. So, so he took care of that. And then Wesley stumbles back to, you know, his life, we think at the end of this. But I, I mean, I don't, I don't know what happens. And I also don't know how this abandoned warehouse that's now on fire near the river isn't on the news with like 50,000 dead people inside of one building, Jim 12 with a strange bullet wound film at 11, you know, like that, like how does nobody know any of this happens? Right. Like also the city's rat problem seems to have solved itself. (laughs) City commissioners are baffled. Like that would have been like, this is the kind of movie that could have had dumb news inserts like that, like a RoboCop or RoboCop two. And it would have been good. Right. Like Paul Verhoeven wouldn't know what to do with that. Like this is they they, inter, they interject wrong humor at the wrong time here, for sure. Yeah, yeah. A lot of this like that thing of the bridge going off the cliff that would be on CNN. That would be like there being such an investigation about something like that. And again, in the book, they you know like having it's having magic in science fiction is really helpful for your plot because they just say, oh, we have literally like a version of Mix, Mr. Mixelplick from Superman. They have a version of him who has fourth dimensional powers. He can just erase everyone's on the planet's memory. Anytime we do something that's, you know, going to make people, uh, you know, uh, look twice. Well, we just, so so they just do the men in black flashy thing and then it's over. Exactly. Right? Like, so, yeah, Which they okay. should have. That would have been if they came up with something like that, a neuralizer or or, uh, or something. Because, yeah, it's just not only is it weird how it's how do they keep all this a secret? It's a confusing of 
they're not getting paid to kill these people. The loom is just telling them. It's like again, it's like I don't. Know. They 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 could have gone into you know, how how it all works of like. I mean, like they if they're the making money. money off the textiles, like talk about supply chain problem. Like they must, they, they all the you can't get clothes anymore, y'all. The loom exploded. Like you know, yeah, like that's, I mean, what is this thing churning out? Like it, yeah, the. And I don't need a movie to walk me through everything and hold my hand through everything. But when you bother to stop and explain some stuff and you can't drop a line or two to wipe off some of the other, well, now I know you just think I'm a moron <laughs> you know, and you don't, you don't think I'm going to ask any of these questions and you don't want me to, right? The only thing I will give this movie is, is this thing at the end? Because I, whoever this double is, I really thought, I'm like, man, this is going to suck if this guy has to go back and work in an office again. Like, that'd be <laughs> like at the end of Fight Club, we see Ed Norton back in the office. <laughs> like, that would have about a blown. <laughs> you know, like, oh, you still have to go to work for the man, even though you blew up the credit card building or whatever. Like, that that would have sucked. And I, I love that, you know, he's still typing. He's got somebody typing his name and all this. And Sloan pulls up with that that you know, broom handle pistol, Han Solo pistol. And I love how it, it, McAvoy with just a voice tone change is like, Nope, this is me taking control. And he like walks you through everything. And that bullet, man, it not only travels through the night, cause that is clearly night in that office. He shoots <laughs> like in the morning to go past the apartment, shoots <laughs> past Chris Pratt's energy drink. That, I mean, that bullet went a long way, dude. It did. I, I, as, as silly as it is, I, it's a, that's a, if you're going to, that's a hell of, that's a nice way to a final scene to cut to smash, cut to credits on. I, I'll take that over, say walking off into the sunset. Um, cause I, I like the repeat of the Russian doll bullet. Cause that was one of mm-hmm. my favorite things as, you know, as far as the sci-fi gadget stuff, I thought that was cool. And do, repeating the exact same thing of going in reverse, uh, all the way, you know, miles across uh, Chicago. And, the book goes uh, – there's much much longer wrap-up of like, you know, some of the villains are still alive and they try and rebuild, you know, the vi- supervillain group and stuff. And Wesley is now one of the leaders of that. And in this, they just kind of wipe everything out. But there's – they they kind of uh, – I like uh, – it's one of the better things in the in the movie. The last line of when he breaks the fourth wall telling, you know, you and in the, in the, the audience, what the fuck have you done lately? They do mm-hmm. that in the book in uh, – the movie probably does it better. The movie goes into a much longer thing of just shitting on the you, the reader, that you're such a loser for sitting there reading a comic instead of getting out there and, and getting laid. And it's it's funny in in the book. Uh, that, uh, that would have been interesting if they did that. It's like you're you know you stupid idiot here in this you know you gave us your ten bucks and, you know to uh, watch this movie when you could have been outside. You know you you could have picked up you know bike riding or something. And here you are watching this piece of shit movie. And they don't yeah. obviously they don't do that. But uh, I, I've seen worse, you know, endings than that. No, I, I, I will say the, breaking the fourth wall in a movie can can work and it can also be really annoying and kind of dumb. But here I feel like it's played right and mostly because you've got an actor that clearly knows how to do it and, yeah. and has got it down and he nails that line. And I'm like, well, I mean, I'll never forget this movie because of that line, like the curved bullets and what the fuck have you done lately? Like that's, you know, that and Morgan Freeman cursing is like, that's, you remember that everything else. I'll be honest. I don't know. There's much to remember, but I'm glad they, they they don't spend too much time wrapping it up, but they do give us a wrap up. But again, I I say like the people making this clearly had no 
no thought of franchises. And this, it wasn't like that was a foreign concept at the time. That was what everything is trying to be. And these guys are like, nah, hell with that. Like we're going to kill. There's nowhere to go. Like you say like, Oh, this movie should get, you know, made enough money to get a sequel. Yeah, it did. But where the hell are they going to go? Who's left? I mean, are there other fate looms? You know, there's the fate loom in Cleveland. <laughs> there's one in Europe. I don't know. I mean, it's, I, I don't know where you would have picked up with, with any of this, unless you wanted to tell, the prequel of how cross left the fraternity. Like, I guess you could do that if you, if you wanted to pick up somewhere, but thank goodness, honestly, they didn't pick up anywhere with this. I, I don't know that I wanted a sequel after wanted closed. I just was ready to leave the theater. Yeah. Like I said, like the big one is I, I really forgot that Angelina Jolie's character died like that. And I think like if you were, you know, any other movie would keep that character alive because like, that's the sequel It's the two of them as a team doing you know something whether becoming hitmen or doing something else because yeah it's a weird thing you know because you know on one hand i appreciate it because that's kind of a thing that gets annoying and you know so many comic book movies today is they don't want to have an ending ending no one wants to do a the end i mean i think i've seen i'm like you know if there's if there's 50 comic book movies out there i think i've seen three endings that give a definitive stamp the end moment I guess you could technically make it four with you know with uh, with this, but again, even even if they did open it up for a sequel, like I said, if they switched up directors or something, switched up writers and stuff, you know, it would be interesting. But again, they they this weird thing of you know closing the book where you you can't go anywhere with it. Yeah, they definitely slammed it shut. But are we slammed shut with it? It's time for final thoughts, recommendations, and <laughs> popcorn ratings. Kurt, what are yours for wanted? Well. As I said, I read the book, and this is a rare instance where, uh, with a comic book movie where I read the book before the movie. It's almost always uh, the movie introducing me to the story. Like, I never heard of Sin City or V for Vendetta before seeing those movies. But I read the book, and because of how cool I think the book is, that really hurts the movie for me. It just seems so odd that they would make, you know, that they would see this book, this comic book universe story, and totally discard the coolest elements of it and replace it with things that just seem so lame by comparison, like the cosmic sewing machine. So I don't like the movie, but it has decent, it actually has decent reviews, 71% on Rotten Tomatoes, I think. Uh, and it seems people who have not heard of the book think it's a passable B uh, action movie. So maybe I would have liked it if I had never heard of the book. And if I, if I just went, if I saw this first and then read the book, maybe. But uh, when comic books uh, take stuff from movies, it's fine for me. Wanted the wanted the book lifts a lot of its ideas from stuff like this guy trying so hard to be average and getting thrown into this world of madness. Very Fight Club, but the movie takes all of its cues from other movies like Fight Club and uh, and The Matrix. Only Timur Bekmambetov just doesn't have the slickness of the Wachowskis that they did in those movies. I think a more reliable director like a Matthew Vaughn. Um, who can who knows how to slow things down for character moments would have done a way cooler action movie, which he did with the the other two big Mark Millar adaptations with Kick Ass and uh, The Kingsman. Uh, the actors are probably the best thing in the movie. Uh, it's just it is a strong cast, and James McAvoy and Angelina are good in this movie as they always are. But there's a same equality to the whole movie, where even though if even if I haven't, it just feels like I've seen all of this before especially probably watch if you try to discover the movie now it's really going to feel really played out i don't like it this movie hasn't really aged well in that way so i think wanted it wastes a great opportunity to make a way cooler and crazier film if they adapted the book properly and winds up being a very 
average and mostly below average action movie. And it gets a small popcorn for me. Yeah. I think you, you summed it up right there. Again, having no connection to the book before, during, or after this, I just thought, okay, cool. Sort of R rated twist on a comic book idea. Sure. I'm game, you know, adrenaline pumped action movie. Sure. I like those. I, I will give a lot of those up a good fair shake, even when they're, you know, there's paper thin as, as anything. It's when a movie does what this one does, which is the whole insult your intelligence thing, where it's like, well, I'm going to explain some things to you, but I'm not going to explain the things that really would have made you know, any of this work to you that I realize I'm, I'm watching something that's in the hands of people that don't know what they've got and they don't know what to do with it. And it's only saved by the fact that you've got actors in it who clearly understood what kind of movie they were in and gave it a whole lot more class than it deserves. Um, and that's top to bottom. Like the whole cast is really good in this. They're just in a bad movie. And that's, it's funny to watch a movie that is so well put together in terms of like the characters. And I'm like, man, I could watch these. If this was a 10 episode you know, show, I would be into every one of these people's episodes. Like they would give common a, a episode and they would give the rat guy, whole story you know and all this stuff like we would know more about this but as it is as a movie it's again it's all on fast forward this movie feels like it's on fast forward i even had to check to make sure did i hit some toggle and i'm watching this on one and a quarter speed all of a sudden because i forgot how fast this goes by and it's not that it needed to be longer because goodness sakes that would have been more miserable it's that it doesn't spend time on the things it should spend time on and it wastes time on stuff that it doesn't need to it's got funny moments. There's laugh moments. There's a pretty good ending. It's got some pretty fun action sequences for what they are, but it's a largely unsatisfying thing to watch. And the other thing is it's a really ugly looking movie. I think you called it out right at the beginning, Kurt. This movie looks like shit. I mean, it's terrible. And that bothers me because it, gosh, it could have just gotten a little cleaner look. And I know that maybe that's the aesthetic, but God, it does not land on my eyes. Well, so I, I'm not going to give it more praise than that. This is small popcorn and it's the kind of like lazy, rainy, afternoon thing that like if you've got nothing better you can keep it on the background you don't really have to pay attention to it but you'd be much better off to take the advice of the movie and get up and do something productive with your life <laughs> because this is not anything to really revisit and go for so no I, I, but you know what it was it's fun talking about it with you as it always is kurt so thanks so much for coming on film strip here always good to chat movies with you tell folks again how they can follow you and all the cool stuff that you're doing out there on the internet well uh you can follow me on uh, on Facebook. There's the Fabish Factor Film Group on Facebook. And you can also follow me on Letterboxd. That's where I've been reviewing every single movie I've uh, ever watched. Going, I, can, It's a great site. You can go back and it's great. Great waiting in line at the bank app. You go tick off every single movie you've seen to find out. Oh, I've seen 2,600 movies or something. Mm-hmm. And I've been reviewing uh, these challenges, like I said, where friends issue me movies ranging from uh, lost gems to just pieces of shit. But uh, it's it's a lot of fun going through uh, all movies I just haven't seen before, which is the best best thing to do. It's like it's it's much more fun to discover stuff you haven't seen than to just rewatch the same stuff your favorites over and over again. I mean, sorry, the Fabish Factor uh, podcast, which is uh, online, but uh, new episodes. Uh, let's just call it uh, pending for now. But that's where you can find me. 
Absolutely. Thanks again, Kurt. And I, I will say again, as somebody who's done a yearly challenge here with our friend Mike over at Amateur Art Tours, where I've picked a quote, you know, one of the best movies of a decade that I had never seen. That's a fun thing to do. Go watch stuff you've never seen before oh, yeah. and, and experience for yourself, whether good, bad or indifferent, like just throw the score out and say, I'm just going to go experience this for myself. You, you will find things that you didn't know were great out there and, and, or, you know, you may discover something like, yeah, I don't get why everybody loves this. And, uh, you know, we're coming around on some of those for me with, uh, with that, but I, I applaud that. It's a lot of fun. And again, you can follow Kirk's letterbox. It's linked in the episode description is definitely something worth following and checking out. Cause I'm with you. That's, that's the quick thing to pull up when you know, you're know you standing in line somewhere or you got you know, <laughs> a few minutes to kill. It's much better than Twitter. It's much, much better than that. Or you know, any of the other social media, like just, just go to Letterboxd and you can have a good time. I'm, I'm a big fan of that. Folks, of course, you can follow the show's social media at FilmStripPod on Twitter. So if you're going to get on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook, obviously follow us and the Film uh, Famous uh, Factor podcast. There you'll find announcements on the FilmStrip page about upcoming shows, link to our letterbox page, which has our entire list of reviews. So if you don't want to flip through your podcatcher, you can uh, you can go there and see everything that we've done. Uh, go to FilmStripPodcast.com. That'll link you to our anchor distribution site. Apple, Spotify, Google, we're on all those places. And if you're able to leave us a five-star review, help other people find the show and share the show, leave us a positive review. We appreciate the support. For Kurt, I'm Jay. Thank you for listening to Filmstrip. Thank you for listening to Filmstrip. You can find more episodes on our website, filmstrippodcast.com. The Filmstrip theme music is produced and performed by Frozen Lake 121. All content used or discussed in these podcast episodes is the property of the respective owners and used under the Fair Use Act, Section 504C2, Title 17.